Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogyourself.com and complete the contact form, and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. This time we have Brian Manning on the line. Brian, how you doing this evening, bud? Hey, how you doing tonight, Nick? How are you? Living the dream as always, man. So go ahead and start off with the obvious. Tell everybody where you're calling from. Okay, so I'm calling from the lower Hudson Valley in New York. Um, so we're 60 miles north of New York City. We're not city people. We're from the country. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so I actually met you in New York recently at the GDIY training camp. So uh, real quick, before we kind of jump into your story, what was your thoughts overall on the camp? Uh, it was good. I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, it, was, it was set up really well. Um, for the people that didn't go or, well, they probably know anyway, but there was three different, well, actually four different instructors and, uh, we did round robins and, uh, it was, it was a wealth of knowledge there, you know, combined with everybody that was there. And it's, it's nice to have like-minded people, different takes on things, you know, just tools for the toolbox. Um, you can't ever have enough tools. Exactly. And, uh, it was really good. Yeah. So. Well, good deal, man. Well, uh, let's just jump on in, man. Let's. Uh, how long have you been in the bird dog world? The bird dog world, I have an extensive background. I've been in it a hot two years. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so uh, the you, the uh, the GSP I have is my first bird dog. Um, it uh, it was a, a decision that was not taken lightly. Um, I started with, uh, I started with sled dogs. I had 25 years experience, uh, with Alaskan Malamutes and, uh, I ran them on a sled team and, uh, that's where most of my actual dog knowledge comes from that and now, working. How did you yeah. get into the sled dog world? I mean, we're obviously coming back to the bird dog world, but I mean, how, how does one just fall into the sled dog world for, and do it for as long as you did? All right. So, so it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of a weird story. So, uh, 
career in law enforcement, uh, at about five years into it, I was promised a slot for uh, a canine. So I had a falling out with the canine sergeant. The canine sergeant told me that I would never handle a dog in that department. So it was kind of, I need to do something to prove it to myself, but more or less just so I could stick it back at him and say, well, I don't really need, I don't need your canine because I can handle a team of dogs where canine officers usually only handle one dog. So, so did, how did you fall into sled dogs though? Like, so he pissed you off and you just start Googling like what to do with dogs and you landed on sled dogs. Like how did you land on that from just kind of a, uh, revenge method uh it was well it was revenge but i'm a winter guy i mean i love the winter like i mean you know i mean you know hunting season for deer and birds and everything is great but i really dig the winter and i snowshoe uh all over the place adirondacks and whatnot uh with my business i'm i'm a registered guide in new york and a main guide as well so i'm always out in the weather. So I wanted to go farther and I wanted to go where the snowmobiles couldn't go. And the only way that I could do that is either on foot or with dogs. And the dogs accomplished what I needed because I could carry more gear. I could stay out longer and I could get to different places that would take me longer on snowshoes. So that was what it was. That was the catalyst for it. You know, well, fast, fast forward. Uh, did you say 20 years? That's how 20, long? 25 years, 25, 25 years. years, fast forward, 25 years. What, why the change? What, what interested you in the bird dog world? Uh, I put my last mal down and it's, uh, it's really, it's kind of a, a young man's sport. And when you have multiple dogs like that, you really are you know, you are a slave to the dogs. You, it, it's very difficult to go on vacations. You, you can't find people that are going to take a kennel full of dogs. Um, so I needed to, I needed to take a break and I had to think about the next dog and I didn't want another Northern breed because our summers here, uh, although we live in upstate New York, our summers here were getting a lot worse with the heat and humidity. So I didn't, I didn't want another heavy winter coat dog, you know, no matter how much you brush them out, they're, they're still, you know, they're still slaves to their coats. So I started thinking about what am I going to do? What kind of dog am I going to do? Um, the short list was, uh, a Malinois, a blue tycoon hound or a short hair. The, <laughs> it's the, a wide the, array of dogs there. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. So the, the Malawa was out because of grandchildren and it's a very high drive dog and we didn't want any type of, um, you know, miss, miss cue by, you know, a little kid towards the dog. And then just by the very nature of the dog, um, you know, have a misunderstanding that could have turned potentially bad. So we, we took that out of the equation, the coon hound, I love coon hounds. But they're a hound, and if, if they get on a if they get on a scent, they their their brain short circuits, and more dogs have been lost crossing roads uh, than than you know I care to remember. So I was like, you know what? I need something that ranges close by that I can hunt with 
that's really kind of cool. So then I started looking at the upland dogs and, uh, uh, the, the short hairs, short hairs look like coonhounds, you know, the, with the ticking, you know, so that's kind of what I went with. And I, I actually fell into it. I had a, a friend of mine that raises Dobermans and she knew a lady who used to raise Dobermans, but did short hairs and she just had a litter. So it was kind of like the stars aligned. I spoke to this woman, she interviewed me and then we wound up getting Briar. From there it was, you know, full steam ahead. Ready to rock. So talk to me about what it's like jumping into the bird dog world after so many years in the sled dog world. You know, that had to be kind of uh, eye opening in a lot of ways. Oh my God, dude. It's, it was, it was absolutely crazy. It was like, so in the sled dog world, you, you basically teach your dogs to just do on command what they want to do. They want to run. So they want to run and pull. So all you need to do is have them, they're, they're commanded to go a command for left, for right. And whoa, that's it. I got four commands, you know, um, in the bird dog world, you have to think now you're teaching a dog that will normally hunt for itself and doesn't need you. You now have to harness everything that that dog does and make him do something that's unnatural is to go get his game and bring it back to you. So, and having the dog sit still. You know, like potentially I really didn't have to worry about like with sled dogs that they didn't really have to stand still, you know, like they waited, they were in a gang line and they waited to take off. But here you want your dog to remain steady. And unfortunately, when I got Briar, it was, it was right in the beginning of COVID. So everything went downhill. There was no way that I could actually socialize him from the get go as I wanted to. So I was behind the eight ball. And so you run when you're a new guy and you're taking on this new hobby, you're scraping for every amount of information that you can, which way to go, what to do, what method to train, who's, who's doing it this way. And, and then things just, it's overload. It's sensory overload for, for what you're doing with the dog. You know, uh, I mean, I was doing, I was doing drags with, uh, with dead birds and I had, I had joined NAFTA. Okay. And they were like telling me right off the bat, like, stop doing that. Like you, <laughs> you don't, you don't need to do that right now. Stop doing that, you know? And then I would did the wing on the string thing, you know, for the puppy. And, and, and it went downhill from there because people were like, stop doing that drill. It's, it's <laughs> You're like, sitting there like, well, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know, and, and then it was like, take him to obedience class when things opened up a little bit from, from COVID. And then, you know, the, 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 the person wanted me to teach him to sit all the time. And I'm like, well, well, I have a problem with that. He he'll know how to sit naturally because all dogs usually do, but he's got to stay on all four feet. So, so we would butt heads in obedience class and then, <laughs> and, and then it was, Hold up. So you and, actually got into an argument with the pet smart obedience class instructor on whether to teach a tra- pointing dog to sit or not. Dude, I, I actually, it was funny. Now 
you, you mentioned that it wasn't PetSmart. It was an actual, <laughs> it was an actual place, okay, but, right. but PetSmart had this, uh, PetSmart had this, uh, this thing where it was like you, house training your puppy. And then we went to it just for fun. I wanted to see if there's any new methods because you got to remember when you got all those Malamutes, yeah. none of them were in the house. None of them, none of them were in the house. They were all outside outdoor dogs in kennels because you can't, you can't have seven, you know, you can't have seven, eight, nine hundred pounds yeah. of Malamute running around the house. So you're not only you know? getting used to working and training a bird dog and and a dog with a completely different drive overall, but also living with a dog. While you've had dogs for twenty five years, you didn't have one inside the house with you. That is correct. That is absolutely correct. But I do have to say that he was the easiest dog to house train. I think the entire time we had three accidents total uh, from the time that we got him. And that's good. That'll make the transition a little easier for you. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, but we're getting back to that pest bar thing. So we go to this and we're watching the dude, D- dude, we got up and walked out. It was, <laughs> it was, it was that ridiculous. And I was, and I felt sorry for all those people that were staying there with, with dogs. And I, I was just like, no, no way. Oh, so. I just had to ask because, you know, we've all kind of had that discussion with people like within the, within the bird dog community, you know, there's people on both sides, whatever, you know, I, I personally, if you want to teach your dog to sit, cool. Just don't let it become the uh, default. Right. Right. But, right. Uh, exactly. But each their own. But, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think I've heard anybody actually go in and, and get in a fight with a, or an argument with, <laughs> with a trainer yeah. on it, like in an actual obedience course. So I was just, I had a funny image in my head there. <laughs> you know, and I mean, and he does, I mean, when I do study by the blind, he sits at the blind, you know, uh, I won't have him stand because it, it's, it's too much for him to want to like take a step, you yeah. know? So. Well, but, you mentioned you mentioned the learning curve, like you said, when you get in it and you don't know what to do, you, you're kind of grasping at straws, looking anywhere, everywhere, taking this tip, do this, do don't do that. Uh, what what helped you kind of set your path that gave you the confidence or gave you gave you a, a, at least a roadmap to get to where you are now with you, with your dog? So so the roadmap was is when I I joined Navda. Um, I met a few people, um, people that you met up at the, uh, up at, what do you call it? Up at, uh, up at Webfoot. Um, and some of them were in my chapter. So I got to talk to them and then I gained a little bit more knowledge. And then I found a, uh, I found a place that did training for dogs, uh, upland dogs, obviously. And I would go there like once a week. It was like two hours. So we would devote uh, the first hour to more or less obedience followed by an hour in the field. Okay. And, and then that was actually, that was going, that was going pretty good. But over the course of time, fast forward 18 months into it, I didn't see a change. Yeah. I, I never, I never saw a change in the dog. The dog really wasn't responding to what the trainer was telling me. And I would, I would constantly ask to have drills or things that I could do at the house. And it, it was kind of, uh, well, you know, just keep working on that and just keep working on that. And I'm wow. like, 
you know, this, this, this ain't rocking. This, this is he, not working. He was the type of trainer that he knew if he showed you how to do it at home, you'd stop coming to him. Right. Exactly. And, and, and I, I, I was discussing it with my girlfriend and, and I was just like, you know, I, I, what I see right now is I see, I, I'm throwing a lot of money, but I'm not getting results and I'm not getting answers to my questions. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to advance when you're talking about just a two hour block once a week, right? You know, a two, yes. two hour training session for any dog. If you're actually teaching something that that's kind of a really long learning or training session for any dog. Uh, but if you're, especially if you're only doing that once a week, it's going to be hard to make any ground with that. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, kind of fast forward to something I, I had bought, uh, Ronnie Smith's book. I was up in Vermont and I went to Orvis and, uh, and I actually saw this book that was written by Ronnie Smith and I picked that book up and I started reading it really in depthly. And, and I was like, I kind of like this. This is like, actually, this is like a step-by-step giving me like structure. So what I wound up doing was I wound up signing up for Rick, his cousin, no, his uncle, his uncle. Yeah. Rick's uncle, his uncle. I think, yeah. 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 Rick's his uncle, uh, up at Webfoot. So I went to Webfoot and there was a bunch of guys there from NAVDA that I know we all went up and, and it was good because I had people up there that I knew, uh, and we went and we took the foundation class. And when we took the foundation class at the end of the night, you know, we were discussing things and, and your podcast came up and Mark and Martha were sitting there, you know, we're all talking and, and running through some things and they were like, Oh yeah, we were on this podcast. And, and, and again, you know, I'm kind of new to the podcast thing. I mean, I knew they existed, but, but I really didn't know the vast, uh, the vast, um, uh, I got a brain cramp. Um, <laughs> the the vast gloriousness so, the, that GDIY is. <laughs> the, no, the, the vast selection of different podcasts. Yeah. So so then I, I, I subscribed to yours. I subscribed to a couple of other ones. And, and I think I, I, I talked to you a couple of times when I was like commenting on, a, on an episode. Dude, yours is like the best because it's like, it's just no nonsense. You, you sit down, you get to the subject. You have a few sponsors. You mentioned your sponsors, but it's mostly the subject that you're talking about where the other ones, it's like an hour and a half later, you're still listening to ads, <laughs> well, you know, and you're like, all right, can yeah. we just get on with it? You know, I definitely appreciate that. I mean, we, we do put a lot of thought into that, you know, it's obviously we got to pay the bills, you know, it's uh, this time's got to, yeah. got to result in something, but we do it everything is accounted for the best we can to limit, you know, interruptions in the conversation with, with ads. I personally don't like that. And, uh, just ad placement overall. So I'm, I'm glad that people like you notice because it, you know, it, it's, it is hard for, you know, to not just plaster ads all over the show. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and granted, and, and I understand exactly what you're saying. There are times you have to, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's a business type thing. You, you have to pay your bills. You have to buy equipment. You have, you know, everything. I get it. But like I said, you know, you don't need an hour's worth of yeah. ads, you know? Yep. So, 
so so we started talking about that and I, I did that and then there was you know there was a bunch of episodes that i really dug because it, it gave me other ideas you know uh and again tools in the toolbox but the uh i was really drawn to the smith system because it was just so simple and there was just something that i could continue to go back to like if i saw him falter on something it was very easy to go back to the short grass and say, okay, this is the problem. This is where I need to go back to and I can bring it back again. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I dug about it. So, and that, that's a very important lesson for anybody. I mean, I know me starting out, I didn't really truly understand that for a year or two either to where, where, when you, when it finally, the light bulb goes off for you to realize where these dogs truly learn this stuff is and it's not in the tall grass it's not out in the fields it's in the backyard in the short grass uh that that's what it that's when your training and dedication kind of takes the next step in my opinion right right i mean because it is it's like you know you don't want to like i'll give you an example um i think and we talked about it a little bit up at the at the seminar um when i was starting to force fetch briar I ran into that wall where I just didn't, I didn't have the knowledge to go further to get him to actually start reaching to, to go for the buck, the bumper, the, the, you know, the docking or whatever I was using at the time. So it was kind of more, he was like in that holding pattern of just hold, you know, it's in his mouth and hold and I can walk with him, but I could not get him to move forward to actually go pick it up. So I left him, I left him with Mark and Martha. They completed the rest of the, the force fetch with him. And I got him home. I was out. I whacked a pheasant. Probably not the best, best way that I could have whacked this pheasant. This it was less than 15 yards away from me when he flushed. And I mean, and I dropped him and there was nothing left of that dog or nothing left of that pheasant. You pillowed him. Oh my God, dude. He, it was a mess. So I sent Briar, he picked it up and he immediately dropped it. And I was like, yeah. And I, and I was like, all right, I cannot fix this right now. I'm not going to yell at the dog. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just, I walked out, I picked it up. I brought it back. I had him by my side. I had him put it in his mouth. We walked 20 steps. He dropped it again. And then I looked at it and I was like, yeah, buddy, I probably wouldn't have wanted to pick that up either. (laughs) You know? Because it was hamburger. It was, it was just, yeah, it was a mess. Yeah. yeah. So, so again, so what I did was, and, and this was like the greatest thing is, is I called Mark and Martha. I sent them a video of him with the bird and they were like, look, he's a rookie right now and you just need to get more birds. And if you have to go back to the short grass, you fix it in the short grass just continue to go out and do what you're doing. And eventually it's going to click, you know, it's, it's just one of those things, you know, and, and everybody, you know, you'll talk to a lot of people that have had a lot of dogs and they're like, ah, I just do it out there. And, you know, your dogs should do this. And, you know, if you're going to get mad at your dog, you're going to go nowhere. Yeah. 
And let, let me you ask know. you a question real quick. In that scenario, you know, a lot of people might think in that scenario, well, my dog's been force-fetched. I've trained for this. I have the tool in my toolbox to force him to pick that up and bring it here. But like you said, your thought was, I'm not going to fix this right now. Let's not overreact and, and create an issue where there potentially isn't one. Uh, what, what, what was it in that situation and what was that dog's behavior telling you that made you go that route as opposed to what maybe the average person would do and force it to happen. Well, I, I truly think that he just, he, he never had a problem with picking up a bird. He was doing it prior. Okay. But he would do it on his own terms, obviously not like the force fetch aspect of it. But like, I, you know, this thing was blown to hell, you know, for the lack of a better term, it was, it was hamburger. Like the breasts were gone out of that that bird, so so I'm just looking at it and I'm like, all right, buddy, you know, like again, this is you could tell his body stature. He had it in his mouth and he was just like, you know, this is this is bad, Dad. This is crap in my mouth right now. <laughs> so so I'm looking at it like this. Okay, not a big deal, bud. We're gonna go back and that's what we're gonna do. So we got back to the truck. We got back home. I put that bird down on the grass and then that's where I applied my pressure. That's where I did everything to go and have him under pressure, pick up the bird, walk back with me, go back and forth and do this several times. Let him have a break from it. Let him think about it. And steadily, that's what it was. And, you know, you will, I, I, I think what, I don't know. I think if you get a refusal and once you actually know that the dog knows what he's doing, you know, it could be the, it could be the, the middle finger to you um, sometimes. But I also think that if you look at the body language of the dog, maybe the dog is actually just telling you like, eh, you know, I'm not comfortable with this right now. I, I don't know. You know, and some people may say that's, that's a bad thing, but I don't, because like I said, if you fix it in the short grass, you're not going to have an issue in the long grass. Yeah. And no matter what you do, there's always going to be somebody that has the uh, opinion that you did it wrong and should have done it a different way, right? Like, you know, bottom line is you're the only one there in that scenario and you saw the dog's reaction and, you know, like, like you just explained, all that goes through your head and, and you know, right or wrong, we are where we are, right? I was just kind of curious about your, your thought process into that because I know a lot of people would have just been like, nope, we worked this. I'm making you do it. I'm going to win this battle. Uh, yeah. So, so I don't know. I was just curious. Uh, yeah. So, you're obviously doing upland hunting. What's your main targets and species, and do you do any waterfowl at all? Uh, I, I Well, I don't do any waterfowl, I'll be honest with you. The only the only waterfowl that I, I'm probably going to have right now is in testing. Um, you know those scenarios. That's not to say that I wouldn't like to do it. Um, it would probably be a time issue. So uh, the I want to get to the grouse woods and spend some time with grouse, um, woodcock, and then the stuff. Um, I actually have a, a pretty nice hunt club that I belong to and we stock pheasant and we stock chucker and kind of the really cool thing about it is, is all, yes, although they're pen raised birds, um, 
there's like only five guys that run dogs. So our entire hunt club, like if I go out hunting, I'll seldom see anybody. I, I go during the week and I see absolutely nobody, you know? So, so I have a scenario where I'm just, I'm just out there, you know, just out there um, with the dog having fun. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it's like one of those things, it's just like a no pressure thing, man. It's just going out with the dog, having fun. And, uh, you I'm going to get out more with Joe. Uh, you just did a, a podcast with him. Uh, Joe and I have been talking a lot about going out and doing some, uh, some grouse stuff and, and woodcock and things like that. So I'm going to be looking forward to that as well. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So going back to the, the podcast and some sources that kind of helped you get along, I know the Smith method and your core group of guys are, are the main thing, but going back to the podcast, you said that there are some episodes that kind of gave you some lessons or ideas, you know, what, are there any specific episodes or topics or guests that stand out in your mind that, uh, that, that you would say is, I don't know, your favorite, I guess. Well, uh, the, the first one that I listened to was the one that you did with Mark and Martha about the, uh, the first seminar that you had. So that was all about the chain gang and everything else. And, and that got my interest going. And then from there, one of my other favorite ones uh, was the the duck search and how you were doing it? I believe that's the one where you were saying that that you started on land, yeah, and you started throwing bumpers. You peppered your yard with bumpers, yeah. Dude, I got done listening to that podcast. That was the first thing I did. <laughs> How'd it work out for you? It worked. It worked out pretty good, you know. <laughs> and and then it, I I expanded that out. I went to the local park and I was throwing them out there and. And, uh, and so, so that's still a drill that I'll do. I just don't put out the number of bumpers, uh, that, you know, I started with. So I'll just throw like five or six out there. I I love that drill. I still do it, do it in in my front yard. I mean, even though I have acreage now, it's still a drill that I love doing, especially at night where they can't see them and they have to rely on their nose. It's just, you're just exercising that nose even more at night. And, uh, you know, if, you just got to keep number of your bumpers, right? <laughs> you know, you might, right, right. might be waiting till daylight to go get them, especially if you go throw out 20 of them. It's, you know, it's sometimes you don't get through all 20 reps by the time it's time to call it a session. Right. right. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great drill. So that was another one. Uh, what was the other? Well, the entire force fetch series was really good. Really loved that. Um, again, you know, different perspectives, and and just listening to different people and the way that they they do things and it was just really really good. Uh, what was the other one? The uh, the oh to stop the flush using using freaking bumpers for stop the flush. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and it, and it was absolutely right when you, when you said you use a bumper to simulate getting a bird, you know, to, to bring a bird back. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? And uh, and you know, I will like when he's on a free run or we're you know so. So, like, I think everybody does this, right? So, you give them those days where they're just free runs. You let them run around the woods. You let them go crazy and stuff like that. But you still, within that free run, you always add some type of element where they're, you know, you're training. Yeah. So, and that's exactly what I'll do. So, I'll throw a bumper way out in front of them. And I use the, you know, I use the 209 primer gun, you know, stop the flush or, you know, stop the shot, stop the flush. 
you know, all those things. And, and it's true. It just works. Yeah. I mean, no. it's not, it's not perfect. Obviously you're not going to forego a pigeon or a live bird to go throw a bumper. But like you said, if we need reps during the week and you're at home and not everybody has the op- option of pigeons during the week or whatever, you know, yep. uh, it, it's better than nothing in my opinion. And it's, exactly. you know, you're not really going to ruin it. Like I, you know, unless you're just, uh, just r- that bad at throwing a bumper and you just like drill the dog in the face with it. I can't really think of any <laughs> other way to screw it up. Like, it's just, if you throw it and they don't see it, who cares? Go pick it up. You know, yeah. if you throw it too early, just get your timing down better on the next one. Like I, I, it's to me, it's, it's no harm in trying. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know what? And they pick up on it. They, they know do. what you're doing, yep. you know, they know. So, so you just, you just mix it up. Maybe you go through the whole run and you wait until you're on your way back home or something like that before you throw it the first time or something. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, it, it just is what it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, because, you know, they're, they are so smart and they just figure stuff out and, and, you know, they anticipate things so quickly anymore. You just, it's that variable schedule that you have to, to do things to just really, you know, mentally wear them out. And, that, you know, like when you talk about um, the learning curve on things, it took me a bit, it took me a while to understand that you really need to mentally wear this dog down so that at the end of the day, he's not still walking around the house, pacing in the house yeah. versus running him. Because with a sled dog, it's easy. They're out, they're running, but there's, you know what it is for them. They constantly go around a turn. So it's something new for them. So they're constantly focusing while they're running because it's something new. So they obviously, they, they get wore out mentally and physically, and then they're, they're done when they're, but this guy, this guy runs for, you know, an hour in the woods. And unless I'm really working him in the short grass, doing heel and, doing some retrieves and just doing general obedience or just standing still, you know, like how many times you put your dog out there, you have them stop while you're working around the yard and you just want them to sit still, you know, that kills him. That absolutely, <laughs> you, you can see it. You can see it in the dog, you know, like he'll start off like really good. His tail is up, you know, his head is up and he's like, and then, you know, like 10 minutes into it, he's like, all right, dad, can I move? Yep. You know, and you got to watch him, you know, and it's, What's their job to do? Their job is to stand there and be, you know, like if they go on point, they have to be on point until you get there. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Just get them comfortable to just just sit there. It's okay just just to sit there. And like you said, yeah. you know, incorporate yeah. it around chores around the house. You know, mowing the yard, put them on placeboard. Washing the car, yeah. put them on placeboard. You, yeah. know, I, I, you know, I referred to it the other day, I think, with my wife. I called it water in the garden because, you know, right now we got the vegetable garden coming up and I had to go water. And, well, we have one section that I have to take a bucket back and forth. And yeah. so it's like, well... I'm going back and forth anyway. Let me call one of the dogs over here and let's do a heel session there and back and, and do, sure. you know, do each dog three or four times. And it's like stuff like that, you know, it's like, it seems silly. You're not going to, I don't ever really like dedicate an entire training session for that. But, you know, when, when you have the opportunity to do it, just, just go do it. Right. Take advantage of sure. it. Sure. Absolutely. And, and, and all those little things add up. Yeah. You know, for sure. Because that up to reps and consistency, and then, you know, 
then, then yeah. they're good. Well, Brian, I'm going to wrap this up. Let's close it out. Give give me your one tip for the person starting out. It can be as short or as long as you want, and we'll just wrap this sucker up. Uh, you know what, dude? Seriously, I think the biggest thing is really just have patience with your dog. Have patience with your dog. Have patience with yourself. Don't lose your temper. And just remember that everything travels down lead, man. Like if you have a bad day and, you know, you come home and you want to go train your dog. Yeah, you may not want to train your dog if you're in a bad mood. You may just want to sit down, relax and, you know, just have a, a, a different day. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.